We're here with Brother Anthony from the Western Dominican Providence, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, it's great to have you here. Uh, thank you. Thank Brother, uh, is there any rivalry between the provinces? Like, is there an annual soccer game or uh, anything? Arm wrestling match? No, the rivalry is, of course, much more, yeah. Much, much more intellectual. Yeah, right, of exactly, course. Exactly. Yeah, obviously, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, no, there is. I mean, we are... The, the eastern province is always the biggest one. So it, I always tell people, if there's a Dominican that you know, he's probably from the eastern province. Uh -huh. but, but we're part of the work we do in, in the west. So. And there's also uh, Midwest. There, so or there's mid some. There's some a central and a southern province. Cent central and southern. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, so t tell us about what your abstract is about and like what you're, what you're talking about today. Yeah. Today I was presenting a paper on the relationship between the natural law and divine revelation. Okay. And the what I was really trying to get at was that a lot of times people have a tendency to want to argue that the state, as a natural institution, uh, is concerned with just the natural law. And therefore, spiritual things or divine revelation, religious-y stuff, really doesn't belong in or around the what the state is doing because they're separate. But the way Thomas Aquinas talks about the natural law he says that actually there are aspects of the natural law, aspects of moral, certain kinds of moral precepts that require divine instruction. So hmm. if that's true, there's this kind of intrinsic relationship between natural law and revelation, that, that revelation sort of completes and perfects the natural law. If that's true, then the state can't see itself as just totally Secular. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. So what are some of the, uh, like... What are some instances in which that's the case? Yeah, the example that Aquinas gives is he says uh, an example of a moral precept that requires divine instruction or revelation would be you shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Because anybody could know through natural reason, a uh, pagan could tell you that uh, you shouldn't blaspheme, right? You shouldn't use God's name in vain. But without revelation, without God saying who he is, then mm -hmm. how, how do you know uh, what is God's <laughs> name such that we should not take it in Right. Name? Yeah, what if his name was Lloyd? <laughs> and, like, <laughs> you know, what you have your coworkers. You have an annoying neighbor <laughs> named Lloyd. Yeah, all this time. And then you get to your judgment and you really regret it. I yeah. mean, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, so there's, there's always that, that kind of intrinsic relationship then. I, I think it's similar to the way in which we often talk about human nature that human nature, there is a kind of relative perfection that man can have naturally, mm -hmm. but we realize that there's never a full or, or that completion. Actually, that's the odd thing about being human is that uh, to be fully ourselves, in a sense, requires something, requires us to be something more than ourselves. So that, that grace-nature mm. relationship kind of impinges here. Yeah. Now, so the, the ar argument is... all probably from the secular side is like the separation of church and state. Yeah. Right. That's, that's typically yeah. the argument. Yeah. Um, which is in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> so, just, so just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, so when you hear this common objection, yeah. Uh, outside of just saying, uh, you know, the natural laws are written on our hearts and, and kind of go through that. Yeah. What, what's your, what's your, uh, reasoning, I guess. Yeah. Well, one of the things that, that Pope Leo the 13th, who's, is, excellent on all these issues but but this in particular he says that the that every state is professing some religion and i don't think he's saying that as just like a matter of fact 
Like, well, it just so happens that that's what states are doing. But in principle, every state, every society is governed around some kind of mythology or some some kind of meta narrative that there's no it, neutral no, exactly so did you say meta narrative yeah 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 that <laughs> is so meta <laughs> <laughs> so so there's something sacred at the heart of every society because uh, how else can we hang together i mean we're not related by blood i mean how do you get right. how do you get all these people to say oh we're all here we're committed to this one thing because the one thing that states especially need is you have to be willing to sort of sacrifice. Yeah. So there has to be something sacred there. And throughout most of human history, that has been explicitly uh, theological. But even today in the, in the secular states, you see how that vacuum gets filled by some kind of worship, some kind of implicit theology. So, so Leo's the second half of that, he says, since every state is organized by some kind of religion, well, then the conclusion is is that it ought to be organized around the one that's true. <laughs> so, um, Which makes sense. Yeah. 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 So, because uh, that puts an obligation on the polis. I don't know, like, you know, who bears the responsibility, the, the leaders, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, what if your leaders have, through good faith, decided religion x is true yeah uh, something different from the catholic faith yeah for us as members of that society where does our obligation begin and end to because we have this obligation to the state you yeah. know what yeah. happens what do you do yeah yeah that that is a, a very good question because there there is a there is a kind of intrinsic legitimacy to, to temporal powers, even when they're obviously fallible. Yeah. Um, and even in cases, and this is something that's, that's somewhat controversial, but, but sometimes people point to Thomas Aquinas who taught, and this is right, that an unjust law is no law at all, right? So if, you're, if you are commanded to do, to do something contrary to nature, contrary to the natural law, he says it's actually not a law, that's a kind of violence. Mm -hmm. And that, that's pretty compelling. But because the law is a teacher, Correct. Like so, you can't teach something that's that's unjust. I mean, you can't try to force a, a teaching that's unjust. Well, I, I think it has to do with with how he understands. So, violence is a motion that is contrary to nature, mm -hmm. right? So, mm -hmm. like if I throw a rock up in the air, it's violent in the sense of that's not the way that the rock wants to go, <laughs> right? So, okay. so it's 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 contrary to its nature. So, it's Back, and it's backwards from what you think. Most people think the violent part comes when it lands on your head. <laughs> <laughs> But they'd be wrong. It was, it's actually when you threw it, it in the air. Through. That was yeah. the violence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so violence is this kind of contrary to nature motion. And so when the law directs you actually according to nature, there is no, like, that is, that is actually freedom, mm -hmm. right? So freedom is found in the proper exercise of the use of our reason and our will. But uh, so when you're commanded to do something that's contrary to your nature, even if you feel like actually you want to do it or whatever, it's still a kind of, violence because it's 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 violence against nature and, the, and the, those natural principles but so the conclusion that people want to often draw from that is like oh well then therefore we have this kind of at the ready excuse to say hey we're going to rebel against any yeah therefore i'm not paying my taxes <laughs> yeah yeah but he, he makes a distinction just after that where he talks about that that in certain cases where you cannot 
you cannot obey whatsoever is if you are commanded to do something that's against what he calls the divine good. So that's where he appeals to Acts, where he says, where the apostles say, we ought to obey God rather than man. So if what you're being commanded to do by the law is itself sinful, then under no circumstances can you cooperate. You're compelled not to do it. Right, morally right. speaking. Not, not only do you have the option to say no, right. you're required to say no. Right. But what he says is that even in these cases, and this kind of gets to your question, is that even in some cases where the law is contrary to nature, it's an unjust law. So technically it's, as he says, it's not a law, it's violence. But we have reason sometimes to cooperate. And so that's where he cites like the Sermon on the Mount, that sometimes you go the extra mile, you turn the other cheek. So for the sake, he says, of, of peace and common order and to avoid scandal, sometimes we want to cooperate because fighting and trying to die on, on every hill is not the right way. So, so to that, like, yes, sometimes we ought to still cooperate, even when the state we recognize is not exactly fulfilling its, its obligation. So is this the, uh, it's important to have a, a, a moral conscience? It's important to sharpen your conscience so that you know when to exercise? Because I mean, you have to be prudent in this, right? Because if you're going to make a hard line, you're going to make a stance. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it needs to be prudent when it needs to be uh, almost like a, a just stance in, in, in which you think you can possibly win or you can possibly, like, there can possibly yeah. be something that uh, a good is achieved by this, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's another thing when, when resisting authority is that, yeah, there, there are real criteria in place of, of you don't do that just willy-nilly. But as you said, the key is, is prudence. And so that's something that we develop over time. It's, it's a habit. It's a virtue. Right. And so, so, so we're always looking to inculcate that even in the little things that we do. So sometimes we, we like to look ahead and say, well, in the really big moments of life, I'll do the right thing. But really doing the right thing is about doing all the little things. Mm -hmm. And then the big moments will take care of themselves. I'm interested in this idea of, of your abstract about a natural law needing to be inf informed by divine law. Is that, yeah. is that the way? You yeah, yeah. Can you give me another example? I'm just, I'm curious. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. Okay, I, I like the one about taking the Lord's name in vain. Do you have any others on the top of your... Well, he, he gives... He gives two examples in that passage. One is the Lord's name in vain, which mm -hmm. is clear to me. The other, he says, uh, is the part of the first commandment that says, you shall uh, not make for yourself any graven image. I don't know what he means by that, to be honest. I don't know how that applies. But another case would be uh, to keep holy the Sabbath day. Mm -hmm. So here's something that he says mm. is generally knowable, but it requires specification. So... So he says that the third commandment about the Sabbath is he says it's partly moral and partly ceremonial. Mm -hmm. So there's a moral aspect that is that we owe our time, we owe worship to God. Right. But when and where and right, how. Right, that it takes place on Sunday. Yeah, you know, S says like, who. Right. It's, it's kind of arbitrary. And so, so interestingly, he says in the Summa and, in, and elsewhere that without prior to divine revelation, mm, yeah. the pagans were just in basically the kings having the authority to kind of determine religious observances. Sure. Right? Because, well, somebody has to, somebody has to say, this is how society is going to worship. But in the, with the coming of the gospel, the preaching, the preaching of the gospel, the coming of Christ, that relationship is now reversed because God has now said himself how he wants to be worshipped. So for those cultures, those peoples, those individuals that know, that's the argument of my paper, is that we can't just pretend 
like we don't know. That's a sort of reversion to paganism. So it worked for them, but it can't work in a Christian society. Would you be so bold, brother, <laughs> as to give like good examples? Um, these these kinds of conversations like we're having yeah. today um, about the relationship between church and state, how, okay, ultimately the state should affirm the truths of the Catholic faith. I mean, this is, you know, that kind would of, be an ideal. That is idea. kind of the ideal thing. Um, what, you know, like what should the laws say, you know, about people going to, uh, you know, like Seventh Day Adventists, you know, should that be, should it be illegal? You know, should, should those churches be against the law? So y- it's, y- it's, it's really funny you mentioned that because I, so I was raised a Seventh Day Adventist. So no these, kidding. These no are, kidding. Yeah. You guys didn't know that, but that, that, so these are not new questions for me. Uh, no, but here's the thing. So immediately people want to say, oh, religious liberty and Adventists especially, like that's the question, religious liberty. But I don't think that an acknowledgement on the part of the state b- doesn't mean then that the free exercise of religion of, of other people is <coughs> is automatically limited. Sure, exactly. Because if anything, I think that a, a pro- this sort of ideally Catholic state has even more of a reason to actually understand and to justify and to protect certain religious observances that a secular state they see no real value in it. It's just kind of arbitrary, so, so it can more easily be sort of ridden over. But uh, from a Catholic perspective, there's actually, in certain situations, there, there might actually even be greater protection uh, and a better sense of, of affirming the rights and dignities of, of non-Catholics than you would have even yeah. in a doesn't, secular doesn't state. Doesn't Aquinas talk about this in, in De Regno? In that, like, where he talks about, like, if it's in a Catholic monarchy, so, I mean, he gives these different uh, options, right? But then he actually talks about how, because it's a Catholic monarchy, they have, uh, uh, like, the duty to protect all religious liberty. Didn't he talk about that? I or am I, am I mixing, I may be mixing it up. I, I don't know. Based on, on your, your, your look, I'm, I'm mixing it up. <laughs> he knows exactly what you're talking about, and he's thinking, that's not what he that's says. That's not what he says. I don't, I don't know that, that he would use, because yeah. that language See? kind yeah. of comes later. But the, but the, mm-hmm. but there is a way to. That's to the way Nancy it. Pelosi would have said it. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! <laughs> what what he does talk about in the Summa is, for instance, like um, it, because this is always the thing that comes up because people use it want to use it as leverage of like oh persecuting Jews like it, like this is this is all some long game to to right. know, be it's anti-Semitic. A, but Thomas in the Summa talks about that that actually. Even as Christians, we have, a, and this is an example of what I mean, we actually have a positive reason of why Jewish observances within our society can have positive benefits for us. Because as we see Jewish people continuing to practice their faith, there are things about our scripture, our tradition, that can be even more illuminated. So, so that's a perfect example of how, how a Catholic state can actually be an even better protector of a genuine religious mm-hmm. liberty. It just seems to me like, it, you know, a, a general principle you might start with is that in this, in this you know, ideal situation we're talking about, mortal sin mm-hmm. would be against the law. Uh, in general, you might start there, but you can't no. really do that either. No, uh, right. exactly. You know, like, you could say, oh, well, we can outlaw abortion. We can outlaw killing people. Yeah. We can outlaw, like, well, what if you sleep in on Sunday, or do you have to, like, go to jail, you know, because you intentionally skipped mass or whatever. No, no. And, and because this is, again, something that goes that goes back to, to Thomas, that he talks about this. I mean, he actually surprisingly, and we can differ with him, I certainly would, but he uses the example of prostitution. He thinks that's something that's evil 
that he had in his mind that if you if you outlawed it, that that would that would make things even worse. But his principle is, is really, it, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is it, but it, the principle there is, is a right one, which is that sometimes in limiting certain evils, uh, you might actually create greater ones. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so there's always – the application of law is, is always a prudential okay. method. Okay. So. Uh, we're going to let him we're, go. We're getting, we're getting the rap signal. Yeah, okay. he, he's you're, needed, he's you're needed elsewhere. I am needed elsewhere. If somebody else uh, wants to know more about the Western Dominican Providence, where can they go? opwest.org. Opwest.org. Right. Thank, Thank you, brother. So All right, of course. Appreciate Thank you. It.